1: Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com, and I always welcome you to connect me on LinkedIn. Today, I invited Mr. Remy Blackman to the show. He's the founder of China Israel Innovation Accelerator, CIIA, and he's a tech entrepreneur and venture capitalist based in Shanghai, China, and Tel Aviv, Israel. We would like to talk about the secret sauce for foreign startups succeed in China. Welcome to the show, Remy.
2: Thank you very much, Michelle. It's a pleasure. To be here with you. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So where are you video conferencing in today?
2: I'm based in um, Tel Aviv, Israel. And many people know Israel to be the startup nation, which is a place that breeds, I think, thousands of startups, that uh, many of them go on to be successful in Silicon Valley. And we see some of the leading unicorns coming out of Israel. So that's been a you know, success story mm. in Israel for over 25 years now.
1: Yes, I would love to hear a lot of uh, information and insights from you. Uh, first, before we jump into that, I want to just check in with you. How are things there with the pandemic?
2: Unfortunately, Israel started out on, uh, on the right footing. So... And around May, after six weeks of lockdown, they opened up the country and things were going very well. But then things began going in the wrong direction. So right now, in terms of the number of people infected, we're almost as bad as the U.S., unfortunately. So wow. we have become what's called a red state now, and things are really pretty much out of control. So unfortunately, the situation is not so good, but we remain hopeful.
1: I think uh, maybe it will be really helpful for you to first introduce yourself to our audience and especially your connection with China. And I mentioned the startup accelerator. What is it? Can you please give us a brief introduction about yourself?
2: Sure. In fact, I think my relationship with China is not coincidental. I was raised in Taipei, Taiwan. Ah. Um, that's where I spent many formative years of my youth and and so I think uh, being in China is not a coincidence so it's something that I felt you know the Chinese culture was a part of me in many many ways. Um, So in my background I am a as you mentioned technology entrepreneur and venture capitalist. I've been working and living in China for over 12 years. In my past I've I started ventures and I've worked for uh, Giza Venture Capital, which is uh, one of the leading VC firms based in Israel. And I've spent a lot of time, particularly in Hangzhou and Shanghai. These are two cities that I've spent, you know, a number of years, but have gone around a lot. And essentially what uh, the focus of my work in China has been to work with various Chinese cities. So, in addition to Shanghai and Nangzhou, I've worked with uh, the city of Xi'an, Nanjing, Haikou, Hainan, Hainan province, and with uh, business and investment groups looking into uh, technology companies, particularly out of Israel. So, mm. essentially looking into Israeli startups in various sectors, in various stages in their development, and looking into mostly commercializing these startups in the Chinese market. That's been the focus of my work. Now, as I've mentioned in my introduction, Israeli technology companies have been very successful going to Silicon Valley um, and setting up their main office there. And the model that has developed over the last 25 years is that they set up the um, R&D center, in Israel, and their main operations, the management, the sales, and the marketing in the US.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's worked
2: very well for both sides. However, when looking into China, things are very different. There is, you know, these days, particularly in the past three or four years, there are very clear opportunities in China. It's a market where these companies can grow quickly and can reach high valuations, but there are very big challenges there, you know, for foreign founders.
1: Right, we will go into that and uh, uh, learn from you because you've been in China for so many years and you are doing this. And we will see what what model you have figured out that works for China and compare it to with the U.S. Uh, One thing I want to mention is Israel has this reputation, just like you said, right? A lot of uh, technology companies started from Israel and then... Mm -hmm. At some uh, time, you know, they go to U.S. When you mentioned that, immediately I remember my neighbor, my previous neighbor. I live in the Seattle area and Microsoft is here. Amazon is here. So my neighbor, he, his family, they moved from Israel to Seattle because they, their company was sold to Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And before they, yeah, before they sold their company to Microsoft, uh, they told me the first company they sold to Google. So their family moved to Silicon Valley, stayed there for a couple of years um, because of this acquisition. And then after that, uh, they went back right, the, um, the husband is the uh, guy started all this tech stuff. They went back and started another tech company and so to Microsoft, so they moved to Seattle. And after mm-hmm. a couple of years uh, as my neighbor, um, they, I know this husband because we were colleagues uh, in Microsoft and we chat a lot. He, when he was working for Microsoft, he started another one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, some ideas in the U.S. Yeah. Then finally he went back. The, the whole family moved back and they started another one. So I don't know when is the next time they move back to the U.S. again. But you see it's continuous. Day. It's always innovation, always new ideas. And they ended up pretty well. So that's happened to my neighbor. I saw this model. Uh, I don't know how they made it uh, in such a success, but you know it. So I would love to hear about it from you.
2: Yes, they, there are many explanations. I mean, you know, people look at the phenomenon that is Israel and they try to explain how it became such a startup nation and what's the source of innovation, what drives people to be tech entrepreneurs, and there are different reasons for that. But the fact remains that it's a very unique place in terms of people, you know, the culture cultivates and, and encourages Young people, but not only young people—people of all ages—to go out and 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 create a new startup. And the fact that there's such strong relationship that it's a, you know, really a microcosm of of Silicon Valley, and that there's so many success stories, and that there's so much collective experience, that pushes people to do that. And I think that's the source of the success. Mm
1: -hmm. If you summarize the formula for Mm -hmm. Israeli startups. What are some key things Uh, you mentioned? uh, The source of innovation, and what other things that you think really contributed to this success in the U.S.?
2: Well, first of all, many people come out of the military, the Israeli military. So everybody goes to the military for three, two to three years. It's mandatory. And some of the units, like 8200, 8200, there's some leading units in the in the Israeli military that produce many of these successful entrepreneurs, and many of them are known already in the United States. So the fact that there's so many people with this kind of experience, you know, people who are founders, people who are, you know, product managers, uh, VP, R&D, all of these people that have been trained already in the US, in Silicon Valley, and have gone back. And the fact that you have an ecosystem of so many VC firms and thousands of these startups that keep hatching, All of this together, um, you know, contribute to this formula of success. So that when a new, you know, entrepreneur, be it a serial entrepreneur like your neighbors or people that start their journey, they pretty much have a, you know, a level playing field. Mm. So the the, the path forward is transparent. It doesn't mean that they will necessarily be successful. They could succeed or fail but they know what the rules of the game are.
0: Mm.
1: So what I heard is besides the source of innovation, you mentioned it's the network, right? The people, they know each other and then they help each other. And then these people build an ecosystem from investment to the teachers, teach the successful entrepreneurs, to teach other people what you should do in order to be successful. And then they connect to the right uh, investors to the right market to all these uh, you know the um, d- conditions and they help to f- foster the new entrepreneurs get yes. into this journey, so they help each other mm-hmm.
2: yeah the thing is that Israel has become a microcosm of silicon Valley very very closely intertwined and and exactly as you say it's uh you know anywhere from the any all the links in the food chain, so investment, the network, the operations, the talent, everything, the, the best practices, you know, the, the, the way you handle yourself, being a professional in tech, what does that mean? So all of these things come together and, and, and that's, I think, the source and the reason for the success.
1: Mm. You also mentioned this is soft skills. Yeah. It's not just you have the technology. Uh-huh. Mm. Yes. I, I'm curious about the education in Israel.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. my neighbor, they moved back. One of the major reasons was because their daughter, she became, uh, I think she was in high school. And she was pretty successful in school. Uh, they have three kids. Um, okay. They had a good life here. Then the parents told me, well, the major reason is, They want their daughter get the real education back in Israel, so they moved. Oh, I don't know what this means, right? Can you tell me a little bit about what's unique about this education in Israel? So people become entrepreneurs. They can innovate. They create all these great things.
2: Yes, I think this is this doesn't necessarily speak to entrepreneurialism and innovation. I think what you meant maybe partly is the very strong link that there is between Israelis and Jewish people in general in Israel. So for many Israeli people, it's very important that their children have a very strong connection to Israel and that they don't lose that connection. Um, Maybe some people from China also have it. They live in the U.S., but they want their children to remember the homeland. Um, In Israel, it's it's sometimes more accentuated. It's, It's more... You know, it, 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 it's a more important component in the uh, in, in people's consciousness uh, because of history, because of many things that happen. Um, the very unique Jewish history and Israeli history. Uh, it's it, people have a very strong connection to the country, and and so these parents, when they live abroad many years, they feel that their children become maybe a little bit estranged, or they don't have that strong feeling anymore. So they want them to come back you know, and have that very unique feeling. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, that doesn't speak directly to innovation and technology in startups. I think that's what she meant when she said education.
1: Mm. I think it totally makes sense to me. They moved back for their kids, but in the meantime, they continue to go back and uh, build their new company. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's talk about China. <laughs> let's so, before we go into the startups uh, it's real startups in china what's the formula there i want to first uh, come back to the uh, the writings the articles you have been writing about mm-hmm. china because i know you you are a writer you have published uh, articles in many different places and uh, you observed what's going on in china in the technology and startup space can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the trends or the things, the key things that you have observed and that you've been writing about?
2: Yeah, so I think what's been happening in China in the past, I would say, three to four years is dramatic. I remember, you know, five, six, seven years ago or more coming to China first. And when I mentioned, you know, when I said the word startup, People didn't know what I was talking about. Mm. Startup, what is that? You know, um, and that changed dramatically. I think more or less around 2017, 2016, 2017, something dramatic happened. And all of a sudden, when you are in China, and especially in the major hubs, you know, Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, Hangzhou, uh, Nanjing, but also the second and third tier cities, you know, more second and third, third tier cities, you see just a huge explosion of people thinking about technology. They, Everybody is a startup entrepreneur. And so many people are thinking about it. And uh, VC, VC has become huge. In 2018, I think China, China's investment into startups, venture capital investment, um, reached 100 billion U.S. dollars or so, the equivalent, which is as much or more than the U.S. And that's amazing to think about because just a few years before that, it was very small. It was a small fraction of that. And within a very short time frame, it caught up. So, you know, it's really an incredible situation. That's the sort of the good news. I think at the same time, the fact that it went up so quickly Also caused some problems because the market was not fully developed and mature Mm -hmm. so in the heyday of 2017 and 2018 when the numbers were rising and venture capital investment was just pouring into these new startups you were seeing a lot of um, um, inadequate let's say investment so into companies that were not you know that that shouldn't have been there that these there was just throwing money at, at startups that have no future. And that was happening a lot. And I think that's typical of a market that's, you know, not at a mature phase yet. So we saw that happening. So many of these companies that uh, that were funded in 2018 just uh, had no future. It was clear that this was just these investors um, operating out of fear of missing out. It's called FOMO. They didn't want to miss out on the action. So anyone that came with a presentation and a good story, boom, they gave the money.
1: One thing I noticed in China, the uh, VC side, a lot of times the people chase after those uh, hot topics. Or, for example, blockchain was hot yeah. for a while, uh-huh. right? VR, AR was hot for a yeah, while. Exactly. Then after that one or two years, boom, it's cold. <laughs> the VC said, are not invest into this anymore. So you, that also created uh, a phenomenon, as you t- described, companies, they- A bubble. Put together PowerPoint, and then they go after those uh, keywords. Yeah, hot topics. Exactly.
2: So you mentioned some of these buzzwords, such as blockchain, AR, VR, and these were, uh, again, these were technologies that were not yet mature also. You know, so they're problematic. And, and so you saw a lot of this money chasing these startups that were not really had no feasibility, were not viable in any way. And that caused what's called then the capital winter. Hmm. So around late 2018, 2019, all of a sudden it came to a stop because many of these investments were not going anywhere. And then there was, you know, sort of like a crash in a way. Um, where a lot of that money froze. So there was no more money or much less money flowing into into startups, as low as 30 or 40%, I think, of the previous quarters. Um, And it caused a reshuffle also in the industry. So all of a sudden, uh, VCs were becoming more professional. Before that, in 2018, basically anyone almost off the street who dressed up nicely and talked the right language could get money from LPs, from limited partners to manage a fund, but they knew nothing about technology. They knew nothing about tech investing and that, you know, that came to an end. So it was painful to many VCs and to many startups, but it was a healthy development for the market becoming more mature and more rational. Um, And so I, you know, it's been picking up, I think for, uh, towards the end of 2019. And then coronavirus, you know, any, everything changed. So the dynamics are, are different. But, um, but if I follow the, the numbers, I think in, 2000, in 2020, um, after a hiatus, after a stop, January, February, part of March, I think now VC investing is picking up again. And it's quite clear that, you know, things in China are happening very fast. So they are learning quickly, and the market is maturing, I think, at a fast rate at this point.
1: Yes. You just mentioned the changes in the recent years. Uh, There's a lot of changes. And in the tech industry, I know there are many different technologies and new things happening. From what you observed today, what are some major things that you think is on the top tier for mm-hmm. investors, for Chinese investors or VCs mm-hmm. looking at, that they think uh, those are good opportunities.
2: So we can look at it vertically and horizontally. Horizontally, AI is queen, you know, artificial intelligence. Yes, that's that the is, key word today, wonder- the buzzword. <laughs> buzzword, everybody loves it. I think particularly in China, people are enamored with these buzzwords. So if you're an AI company, I think still today, but very much so in 2018, 2019. If you position yourself as an AI company, you're gonna get a lot of that attention from investors and from the market. Um, The question is, what does it mean to be an AI company if you have machine learning? To what extent you have the expertise? Because many of the solutions that these startups provide can be done without AI, just as well. You know, the, the actual software solution. But investors look for the deep tech story because the deep tech story gives them the potential, the valuation. They're looking for a very high valuation. And when you have a deep tech story, it enables that. So AI, I think, still reigns supreme Mm -hmm. in China. I'm sure that investors at this point are asking more questions. So it's not enough to say we are such and such AI company. They're going to ask questions to find out you know what kind of um, R and D force you have, what kind of experts you have, what kind of data scientists. So they're not going to just take it, you know, as is that you're an AI company. But still, if you have a real capability and you have the talent, then that's a huge huge advantage. Still, horizontal or yeah, horizontally, I think blockchain. Blockchain is a misused, almost abused term, because you know, people throw that around very, very uh, easily. However, um, there, there there's very little or not so much actual capabilities, not many companies out there really using blockchain technologies to build solutions that are practical, that solve real-life problems out there. That, I think that's still in, in the making. But something really interesting happened in October. President Xi Jinping made a big announcement that, October of 2019 that blockchain was a strategic priority for China and at that point you know everybody picked up the, 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 the signal and and many have you know taken it forward and we see that particularly in Hainan in, you know which wants to be a kind of a hub for blockchain huh. so blockchain is another horizontal if we look at the verticals so these are the, the sectors, there are many sectors in china that you know if you look at technology where china is very key market uh, basically you know every vertical that you look at from smart mobility autonomous driving robotics edge device edge computing which is iot in many cases internet of things smart industry industry industrial iot yeah. then you move on forward to the worlds of uh, e-commerce E-commerce is huge. China is the by far the biggest e-commerce market. Um, it, you know, I haven't seen figures for 2020, but uh, it, it must be around it was a trillion and a half dollars in 2019, versus half a trillion e-commerce in the U.S. or so three times as much. Uh, so e-commerce, digital marketing, consumerism, very, very, very big in China, and of course. You know, if you look at agrotech and food tech,
0: mm.
2: clean tech, all of that, um, um, water treatment, agriculture, agricultural technology, which is super interesting these days, uh, food technologies, all of that is, they're very, very big sectors in China.
1: Wow, great. So, looks like the field is very wide broad, and there are many things uh, uh, technologies company can go and uh, play in. Uh, I think it's time to take a quick break now, and uh, when we come back, I would love to learn more about the China Accelerator that you have in China. You started Mm -hmm. there, why you started, what it is for, and then how you help the Israeli companies the startups come to China um, become a successful company there. And that also applies to other countries, the foreign companies to come to China. Yes. yes. All right. We will be back right away.
0: Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China. With many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution, we can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. Welcome back.
1: So before the break, we talked about uh, general, uh, how... Israel companies went to U.S. become successful. And then we also talked about the trends in the technology space in China that mm-hmm. you have observed. Now, I would like to take this back and really looking into the China-Israel Innovation Accelerator, CIIA, that you have founded in China. Uh, what is this? And um, how, why did you start this CIIA?
2: About two years ago, well, that's something that goes back even further. I, I've, it was clear that China, as I said earlier, is becoming a playing field for startups. Um, until then, up until then, there was only one place where a startup could really, you know, get funded and grow quickly, become a unicorn and be acquired by Google or Microsoft or Amazon or go you know, have an IPO, go public on NASDAQ. So that could only happen in the U.S. forever, basically. So if you were a startup anywhere in the world, that was the place to go if you wanted to make it big. And now, all of a sudden, there's another playing field, and that's China. However, there are problems there for foreign entrepreneurs, for foreign startup founders. The culture and the rules and everything else is, very, very different. And it's not as transparent. It's not even very transparent to the Chinese entrepreneurs many times, but they know how to operate. However, if a foreign tech entrepreneur wants to enter the Chinese market and commercialize their technology, how do they do that? There are no success stories. There's no track record of anyone doing something. So, I basically set out to try to solve this problem. And it's a big problem, I think. Um, and so I created the China-Israel Innovation Accelerator, CIIA, which, because we are pioneers, I think, in what we're doing, and being a pioneer has good sides and bad sides, as everything in life. Um, but we wanted to think about a framework that would help some of these startups that have solutions and have technologies and have products that are viable in the Chinese market, that we recognize them to be that, to, to have that viability, um, for them to be able to land in China, in some or begin to land in China, and launch their solution commercially there. Now, it's not an accelerator as you think, for example, about Techstars or Y Combinator. These accelerators they have cohorts three or four times a year and they have 10 or 15 or six companies coming into a very you know well set uh, program Mm -hmm. where they come in for three months and they go through you know the program for three months we're not there yet it's more of a kind of fluid framework so some of the things that we've been doing so far for example uh, last year in Nanjing Nanjing Tech Week in June of 2019. Nanjing Tech Week is a whole week of innovation and technology events in the city of Nanjing, which is a very, very important city in China, but many people in the West, they don't know too much about it. You know, if they did learn some history, they know. Um, But it's a very important city in China, and it's a city that uh, has ambitions to become a leader and a hub in technology. They don't want to fall behind Shanghai and Beijing and the first-tier cities. So that was a week of matchmaking. And we brought a delegation of Israeli startups and, 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 and uh, incubators, companies like uh, Melanox, which is a very big uh, data center switching you know, hardware company based out of Israel. It's not so much a startup. It's a, it's a very large company. And, and But also smaller companies or, or, or startup companies, such as TEMI, T-E-M-I, which is a robotics company that was uh, funded uh, to the tune of $50 million by Chinese investors. Mm. Um, another company is Innovis in the smart mobility and autonomous driving. They have a LiDAR solution for autonomous vehicles and a number of other companies. They all came through Nanjing. And they attended a week of matchmaking with multinationals, such as Ford Motor Company, such as uh, Siemens, the German Siemens-Bosch, and with uh, Tencent and Alibaba, you know, and other Chinese companies, with uh, local city officials, and went into sessions, and also business face-to-face and so on, and, and keynote speaking opportunities. So that was the first step you know, in a vision that says, okay, Nanjing is a launchpad for these companies in these particular sectors. Let's get these companies to the city and put them in a position where they're ready to be, they're landing and ready to launch into the Mm. Chinese market.
1: So question here, you are not uh, matching them with investors. You are matching them with like potential customers. Is that correct? Or partners? Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, yes, that's a very, very important point that I've realized, that I've come to realize that, uh, you know, there have been cases many times where foreign tech companies, startups are looking for Chinese investors because there's a lot of money in China, right? So they think, let's go raise money there. In my experience, that hasn't worked very well
1: Hmm. for
2: various reasons. Um, So I've come to the conclusion that uh, the best method for, Foreign startups: the, f- the first steps that they should do should focus on the product and the market and commercialization. So these should be companies that have already raised funding in their home market. Many countries don't have a VC ecosystem. Luckily, Israel does have one. So the companies that we bring into the program all have raised some money, anywhere from seed round, let's say two to three million dollars, or more than that of course some of them are a round so they raised 5 10 50 100 you know that's fine but all of them have raised some money and now they're ready to look into the chinese market in a very serious way and that's where we can help them and then later you know we can th- you know we think about that they could raise financing from chinese investors for the local chinese subsidiary but that's a different story mm. but you're right you've you've touched on an important point there
1: so you pick not the early, early stage startups. You pick somebody who has products, who has a, a business model, who can come here to launch and commercialize. So that's the goal for those companies. Okay.
2: Yes. But, but you know, when we say that they are early stage, some of the and seed round is definitely early stage. You know? Okay. Now the rounds are bigger these days. The fine, fine fundraising rounds are bigger. So... Seed round used to be half a million dollars to a million. These days in Silicon Valley, seed round is two to three million dollars. Mm-hmm. So these companies, they're definitely considered they can they can be early stage, but they are not, you know, pre-seed. So if you're just a few people, you know, a couple of founders with a PowerPoint and an idea, and you don't even have a product yet, and you need your first three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars. You're you're too early for the Chinese market, in in our, you know, according to our understanding.
1: Okay, so that's the kind of things that you have done in the past, right? You said that's a 2019, and yes. when you look at from what you have learned through doing this, helping the Israeli companies come to China. Uh, commercialize and become more successful. Well, what's the plan for the future in terms of uh, this type of uh, help, helping uh, them accelerate?
2: Yeah. So you know, we've realized, like uh, I, guess, I think many other people, that there are many, many events, many conferences, and you see some of these, you know, foreign innovators and, and digital innovators and entrepreneurs coming to China. And they have a wonderful time and they are super impressed with what they see. And many nice things are said to each other. But there's no follow-up. Mm. There's, there are no results. And many times the cities or the people who are organizing these events, they, you know, throw a lot of money at it. And there's big splash. And during the event, everyone f- feels elevated. But there are no results after that. So we, we we're looking at this problem. And in fact, before coronavirus broke out, we had some plans on actually having a, you know, a longer term plan for this. So not just have an event, but have actual follow-up. And also, you know, we have, we still have, it, that these things have slowed down due to coronavirus. But we have in the plans to set up an accelerator. So an actual accelerator, a landing pad, launch pad in the city of Nanjing, for example, where we were planning in March of 2019 to have a China-Israel AI summit where we would invite to some of these really interesting founders of some of these really, you know, cutting-edge startups, as well as some venture capital people and just people who have a very interesting story and a view on China and Israel and in general, you know, technology in China and foreign technology. And after that, Two months later, in May and June, we were supposed to have a tighter matchmaking event with lessons that we learned from the previous year. And then also launch, inaugurate, an accelerator. So this accelerator would have the program that would help these startups land and match them as fast as possible with their potential customers in China, which is their most important goal. would help them localize the technology Mm -hmm. very very key task so if you have a solution that is right for the US market let's say or for Western markets in China it needs to be adapted and customized for for China yes has to be that so that's one example Um, you have to have local people so a foreigner cannot sell in China doesn't work that way cannot happen You need a few key people you need to register a company that's very important where do you register it and you want to get the right policy and you want to be closely linked with the city that you're in maybe the district so all of these things this program that we have in the planning was supposed to happen but everything is delayed these days for obvious reasons
1: I think you mentioned the government role here. The event you mentioned, uh, the government was one of the key organizers to put together this event. And different cities have different policies in terms of uh, investment as well as in terms of uh, you know, the supporting they provide to the companies for them to be successful landing there and launch there. So uh, I think uh, since you have been in China for so many years and uh, you have been looking into different cities, maybe from this side, give our audience, uh, especially our startup entrepreneurs, some ideas mm-hmm. about in China, how this works. Why, what's the role of those uh, cities for the companies if they want to come to China, uh, the startups, if they want to land in China?
2: Yeah, so if we want to have some, you know, lessons learned from all of this for foreign entrepreneurs, they could be, you know, U.S. found Americans, they could be Europeans, they could be Asians, of course, Israelis. If they look into China, and I've written about this. Uh, one of the ways to look at it is on a city by city basis. What do the cities offer? But that gets a little tricky because, you know, obviously people people want to go to Shanghai and Shenzhen or Beijing, of course. These are the cities that are more kind of welcoming, I think, to foreigners. Shanghai is probably the most cosmopolitan city in China. Um, And and so it's a natural place for foreign entrepreneurs to say, okay, we're going to go to Shanghai. We're going to start there. But Shanghai doesn't embrace, you know, the foreign entrepreneurs as much. It's kind of you know, everybody wants to go there, so they're not going out of their way to attract people. Competition is high. Um, and you have to look at the, you know, Shanghai being such a big city, there's Zhangjiang, high tech district. Right. You have, you know, different districts have different policies. And uh, in Shanghai, you also have different accelerator programs that you could go to. So there's Xnode, for example, Shanghai Xnode, a wonderful place to land for foreign founders who want to you know, find their way around in China. Another one is InnoSpace, Shanghai. So Shanghai, there's also a community of, of many foreigners. It's, it's a very natural landing place, and you can meet people, and you can, you know, learn and find your way around. However, uh, there are other cities that you should look at. I think some of the second tier cities, key second tier cities, have, are very promising. I think Hangzhou, I don't need to, you know, everybody who has been to China a little bit and knows something about China, knows that Hangzhou is a wonderful city for technology. There must be at least two dozen unicorns that have started there and that are that based there. Of course, Alibaba. Um, so Hangzhou is a really, really good city. Nanjing, great place to go. Xi'an. And I would also mention Haikou, Hainan. Hainan island which is considered the hawaii of china by many people hainan is a really interesting story to it because hainan is a free trade zone there are a number of free trade zones in china but that is one of the you know most liberal regulatory environments in hainan and it's also a free port and about two years ago i think it was april of 2018 president xi jinping again announced that Hainan is going to be the next great place in China in terms of free trade, free port, and so on, you know, competing maybe with the new Shenzhen, let's say. So there are incredibly favorable and friendly policies there in Haikou. For foreign entrepreneurs, it's a very nice place to be also in many ways. It's, you know, kind of a backwater. It's not Shanghai and it's not Beijing. They would love to see foreign innovators, digital nomads, you know, these people landing, and there are many incubators and programs there. China is vast. It's, it's a, I think if someone is looking to go to China, they have to keep in mind something very important. Very, very important. And that is that there is a learning curve. Okay. And the learning curve could be brutal. So you could spend years learning and learning and learning. And and that is a problem, you know, for startup entrepreneur because they, maybe their most important resource is time. You know, they need to focus and get the job done quickly. They're not there to sort of go on a fishing expedition, on an explore, you know, to explore. So that is really, I think, one of the big obstacles standing in the way of foreign entrepreneurs right now when they look into China. And so what happens many times also with Israeli startup entrepreneurs, is that they say China is great. You know, we see it's amazing, it's growing, it's a superpower, it's a huge market, but it's not for us.
1: Mm.
2: It's inaccessible. You know, we can't afford to waste a year and then see no results, which is very likely to happen. So they go on the, you know, well-known track, which has worked really well for everybody. And they have also the venture capital funds that have put money into them and they're breathing down their necks. They're saying, don't go into adventures now. We don't want you going and, you know, looking for opportunity and trying new things, you know, and and, and searching for new models. Don't do that. We need to exit here in three or four years so you go the path that everyone goes and you do what you need to do. So that's what we're up against here. That's why, you know, programs and places and, and, and situations where these founders can land and they can meet their customers, match with their customers in the most efficient way, in the shortest, you know, line that, that, that links to dots. Mm-hmm. That is the holy grail.
1: Mm. So your accelerator the model or the dream you have is you help to build this road. You you figure out the obstacles and what works and you build this framework. So the startups from Israel, they can fit in and they will be handhold through this journey. So they have a higher opportunity to be successful in China. That's great. Exactly.
2: And, and I would say that, um, you know, it's still, a, we call it a framework. But the next step is to have an actual accelerator on the ground. Like I mentioned that we have planned for Nanjing. Mm-hmm. And, and this would take it from being sort of like a framework to an actual program where we handpick the companies that are ready to do that, that we think are best suited for that. And, and then we have a program for them that's exactly, as you say, handholding. And, and taking them step by step so that they can work the way startups work. They need to know that in a year XYZ is going to happen so that they're going to have this measurable results. They're going to have two customers. They're going to have, you know, a team of five people on the ground that they're going to have a company registered, that they're going to have a marketing effort that they might raise money for the Chinese subsidiary X million of RMB. So, with this accelerator uh, uh, program on the ground, this is something that we can achieve and that can be really a game changer.
1: That's great. Now, Remy, we want to, at the very end, give our audience some very specific useful tips, advice to help them. I have a couple of questions. My first question is thinking about the current situation. Mm COVID-19 pandemic everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the world, China is uh, the country that get it uh, under control. And the rest of the world is still in this uh, panic mode, right? We don't know what's going on. What will be the future? So given this current situation, now think back about the startups. Uh, If I am a startup founder, and where is the place I should go after for investment?
2: I would say that, uh, you know, in general, a startup should raise at least its initial funding, if it's early stage, pre-seed or seed as much as possible in the, low, in the, in the closest ecosystem to it, in the closest market, um, because it's the most natural place. It's the place where people will know you, will understand you, will understand your product. You know, you'll have the best communications with them. So if you're, you know, a company in Hong Kong or Singapore... Go raise your money from local investors. If you're from Israel, you, you raise this initial these initial funds locally and, and, that, and that's everywhere. Um, later on, when the company grows a little bit and you have a product already that e- either is commercial or going commercial, then you can look at other markets. And of course China you know is very, very uh, dominant these days. And at least in my opinion, following COVID-19, it will become more dominant, you know, in many ways. It will become, play a greater role in in the global, you know, tech and VC system. So that's my, this is my advice to entrepreneurs. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and China, on one side, it is a big market, China. Consumers have more money now. Second is, I think, uh, A lot of if it's hardware, something uh, tangible, it's manufactured in China. The ecosystem Mm. is there. So that's why China can be a good place to go. Now, my second question, thinking about uh, startup founders, they have in terms of if we're looking at China at this moment. What advice would you give foreign startups if they want to grow in China? Maybe they find bigger investment there and maybe they want to land in China to really commercialize there. What are some advice you want to give them?
2: Yes. First of all, I would say there are a few things that I would advise them to do. Um, Number one, I would say focus on the market. So... Have your product ready, have your solution ready, and look into the Chinese market and think how you can solve the problem that you're out to solve in China, in the Chinese market. What does it take to customize it to the Chinese market? Focus on that, on getting those first customers. POC, the proof of concept. I would say that uh, raising money should be your second priority. That's not the thing you you should focus on. Um, You know, we could go into that separately. That's a a story in and of itself. But fundraising should be, I think, in my experience at least, a byproduct of commercialization. That would come when you're already there. You're going to capture the attention of some of these Chinese investors and they're going to say, wow, look at these people. And they they see that you're committed, right? So you're not just kind of a fly-by-night. You fly in, you say, I need money. Why would they write you a check if the next day you're flying away, they don't know who you are, and you might just as well disappear? They want to see that you're committed. Chinese investors, their advantage is in the local market. They don't want to be just necessarily, most of them, don't want to be just financial investors, you know, looking for returns. Um, They want to have a strategic value also in the local market. So if they see that you have a commitment, that's going to make them trust you and and you know go with you so that's one thing second thing that is maybe as important or even more i would say and that is to prioritize when you're in china it sounds a little bit abstract and it's true everywhere right we always need to prioritize anything we do in life but Just because as a foreigner in China, there is such a learning curve as I was talking about before. Very, you know, steep learning curve. And and you are a small company with limited resources, and you're going into this vast country and this vast market uh, with many unknowns, many uncertainties. It's not as transparent as you're used to, you know, in other places. And there are going to be many. I would call them honey traps. So people will treat you very nicely. They will host you nicely. You'll feel great. You will feel like you can win the riches of China quickly. But that is an illusion. Because the the road is very, very tough. And so to be able to manage through that, and that's much easier said than done, you need to prioritize. You need to look at the prospects that you have and focus your energies only on those That you think will bear fruit,
0: Hmm.
2: you know, and that is an acquired, uh, I guess, skill. That's experience, and and otherwise, you can end up sort of chasing ghosts. You know, you keep flying and you keep going, and you have meetings, and you know, many times people in China they're not going to say kind of, no, forget it. We're not going to invest in your product, or it's not a good fit, or you know, they're not. They're going to say things that might mean yes or no. And you keep thinking that it's going to happen and you keep spending time and energy. So this is, you know, one of the risks that people working in the U.S., they know the, you know, the social cues, they know the, mm. the body language. They, you know, when somebody says something, you know what it means. You can look them up also. You can search them on Google. In China, you, you know, you see a company, a potential customer or investor, you don't know who they are. Even Chinese people, if they don't know who's behind them, they don't necessarily know what they are. So that's even much more so for foreigners. So I would say, prioritize, get help. Work with people who have experience. Go to accelerators that work with foreigners. You know, try to have some kind of, a, you know, hook that is, a, that is a reality, you know, is like a bridgehead into the market. Don't just go running into it, hoping that something good will happen and sort of, you know, going after your, your, your gut feeling because that could mislead you in many times, in many cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cultural differences and as well as the mindset <coughs> difference. I think that's very uh, important. It's different when you are doing things in China versus your home country. Mm-hmm. Right so those are great advice. I really appreciate you share with us about your insights. so if our audience they have questions because you have been doing this for a while, uh, if some people have questions about the space that you mentioned, right, especially the traps <laughs> or the steps yes. the process or the things to watch out for when they want to come to China, commercialize in there. Oh, how can they find you so that they can potentially get some help? I'm not just saying Israel people. I'm thinking about Somewhere. people yeah, from any foreign countries if they want to go to China because it's a new, front, a new world for them.
2: Yes, so I welcome people to get in touch. We can put my email address there if that helps. Uh, they can contact me through LinkedIn as well. And I welcome anyone who has a question, who just wants to brainstorm, who wants to, you know, people who have experience in China, who don't. um, Very welcome to get in touch and, uh, and we can talk and I'll share my experience.
1: Great, thanks so much, Remy. Today we have talked about the secret sauce for foreign startups succeed in China. And you can find out more about Remy Blackman via LinkedIn. His name is R-A-M-I, last name B-L-A-C-H-M-A-N. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I look forward to talking to you next time.
0: Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.